It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you for being with me on this, the last Sunday morning of August. Hard to believe that, but come Friday, the air will be filled with doves, we hope, across America, and several million hunters will go afield in this coming week for, to participate in what has become a long-standing tradition, September 1st, and the opening of dove hunting across uh, across America. Particularly here in Illinois, it's a big deal. Before I go to dove season, I want to report on the fall flight index or the pond may pond counts, the breeding index for waterfowl populations, which we received uh, late last week. And I report on it in the context of it has surprises in it, and it also reinforces that we have a lot of work to do. The first surprise is that duck populations, some of the key species, continue to decline from not only the recent years, but certainly from their long-term averages. A particular note is that mallard populations have reached close to their lowest level recorded since the surveys began in 1955, and these are the breeding grounds populations from the prairies of the United States and Canada, so the Dakotas, eastern Montana, western Minnesota, on up through Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. This is the key index that we have uh, each year, except for the COVID year, and have had since 1955, um, which will uh, tell us what we're getting as far as fall flight and how what the population looks like long term. So as we look at this, we can see that the drought of a year ago, or the last couple of years, has taken a toll on a number of species as they continue to be in a period of, of somewhat of a decline. On the other hand, we see that pintail rebounded from last year's all-time lows somewhat. So as I've done this for a long time, both on the prairie breeding grounds, accompanying surveys, as well as reporting on it, my sense is that if it were not for the work of the North American Wetlands Conservation Act, which is the largest provider of habitat on the ground in Canada and the United States, and the work of Ducks Unlimited, we would be in far worse shape. And I say this recognizing that there is a lot more work to be done. However, Ducks Unlimited has been the staunchest supporter of wetlands conservation in North America for many, many years, and the leading supporter financially and in advocacy of wetlands conservation. And their ability to work with the U.S. government through the North American Wetlands Conservation Act to funnel literally billions of dollars to the U.S. and Canadian prairies has been critical in stemming what otherwise would be a far worse decline. There are other partners under the, under the North American Wetlands Conservation Act, the Audubon Society, Delta Waterfowl, and others. But Ducks Unlimited is really the lead entity on this, and they have been since its inception, going back way back to Matt Conley when he was running Ducks Unlimited and when the whole North American Wetlands Conservation Act came into being. Um, 
So without the North American Wetlands Conservation Act, we would see far fewer birds migrating south. And that's just not waterfowl. We would see far fewer birds of all species migrating south off the prairies. So when we look at these population numbers, they go up and down every year. The long-term trend is definitely not good. When you think back to 1955 and the beginning of the surveys, we had over 10 million mallards. We had over 10 million pintail. And now we have barely 2 million pintail. And we're hovering around 6 million mallards, which is among the lowest numbers ever reported. It goes to show us that despite all the work being done, we still have an uphill climb. And that kind of makes me think about how we're changing things. And one of the ways that things are being changed is, as has become coined the phrase of taking conservation to the mainstream, and that's being done also led really well by Ducks Unlimited. Their work on supporting IMAX films, which is enabling the public at large to, to really understand the value of the prairies and other key wetlands ecosystems has been enormously helpful in recent years. The film Wings Over, over Water, uh, not only did it receive a number of awards, but now it's going into education systems and schools around America. Ducks Unlimited has been critical in, in doing that. So as we move forward, we recognize, I think, that a combination of on-the-ground habitat work and a growing awareness among the American public as the need to save our wetlands and to save our uplands and associated habitats for migratory birds is paramount if we're going to have migratory birds. The combination of a very vibrant communications program and a very vibrant habitat program is logically a key to success. And we've had the vibrant habitat program, as I mentioned, led by Ducks Unlimited for a long time. Until recently, we haven't had the vibrant communications program on the kind of scale that's now being delivered by IMAX, Dorsey Pictures, and others, Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation, and certainly Ducks Unlimited. So we have a one-two punch that could well begin to turn the tide. But when you look at the numbers that came out this year, it makes us remember that we are not out of the woods by any means. Uh, we are facing habitat loss across the prairie breeding grounds as agriculture continues to expand in the areas that were native prairie and grasslands due to the ever-changing crop varieties and the ability of, of certain crops, particularly corn and soybeans, to, to grow in regions due to genet genetically modified crops where they could never grow before. And we also see a move away from, from, from cattle ranching, which has been for a long time one of the best friends that, that ground nesting birds could have because there's no plow involved. So as I close out my thoughts on the fall flight and the breeding populations of 2023, I guess my feeling for this fall is it's not going to be a year of, of great bounty. There was not a great success on the breeding grounds, but it certainly is a year in which you once again can go forward celebrating the fact we still have relatively abundant waterfowl populations. We still can hunt waterfowl in a manner in which our forefathers did, going to the marshes each fall. It's an American, North American tradition that is one of our great traditions, and those of you who have listened to me for a long time know that 
when it comes to waterfowl hunting, ducks and geese, it's been in my blood forever. I cherish the fall, and as Ernest Hemingway said, there's the fall is too short, or words to that effect. So go forward this fall, looking to the northward skies, believing that we've made a lot of progress. There still are a lot of birds. We have a lot more work to be done, and that we should really begin to, to continue to champion the North American Wetlands Conservation Act, the work of Ducks Unlimited and others, who, frankly, are at the end of the day, the reason we can still do this. I'll be back in just a moment. When I come back, I'm going to talk about a success on the Pebble Mine up in Alaska, which I touched on last week. I'm also going to touch a little bit more on the opening of dove season across America in just five days. Thanks so much for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. Hiking, camping, and hunting, it's all an adventure in the great outdoors, but nature can be tough. You need to be ready for anything and everything. Chevy Silverado is built to handle the toughest conditions and get you everywhere you want to go worry-free. Silverado's designed to handle the big jobs. It's built for the great outdoors. With over 13,000 pounds of towing capacity and trailering sway control, Silverado can haul the biggest loads on the roughest roads and keep you cool as a Sunday drive. With eight available cameras and up to 14 different views, it can spot trouble before it gets to you. That's peace of mind. And when you're ready for the backcountry, Chevy Silverado 1500 ZR2 owns the off-road. You name it, we run over it. No wonder it's Motor Trend's 2023 four-wheeler pickup truck of the year. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and check out a Chevy Silverado. It's freedom to explore the great outdoors. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. And I spent much of the first part of the show talking about the waterfowl breeding uh, index for this fall. It's it's actually formally called the Waterfowl Survey, um, which pointed out that we will not have, theoretically, as many birds flying south this fall as we did last year or as we may have in recent years, but it is not a survey that it, that is, is raising alarm bells, as I said, but it, it continues to point out a trend that's, that's not friendly. So moving on, though, dove season. September 1st, dove season begins in Illinois. It always began at noon until, oh, about 20 years ago or so when it was moved to sunrise. And uh, I still am, I'm one of those individuals who... Doesn't want to get up in the dark at night to go shoot doves. It's a great social occasion, so I enjoy the afternoon hunt, even though it might be hotter. It's a long-time tradition of going dove hunting in the afternoon. Uh, and across America, it's it's the equivalent of football tailgating. Dove hunters uh, from the East Coast to the West Coast, from now Wisconsin is dove season, so Wisconsin all the way down to Texas, have long looked at the opening of dove season as a way to bring together adults, parents, kids into what is essentially a big tailgate party, burgers, hot dogs, and cases in the South. I've been in dove hunting fields where you had a gourmet meal served after the hunt out in the field. It's, it's a social time, unlike so many other forms of hunting, deer hunting, solitary, turkey hunting, solitary, quail hunting, you don't talk a lot, duck hunting. You're just with a couple people in a blind, 
dove hunting, you're among sometimes a dozen, two dozen friends as you scatter out across a field in the warmth of the late summer, early fall. It is, I believe, the single most uh, utilized bird hunting season in America. More dove, people go dove hunting than any other sport. It's it's a form of wing shooting. It also is a form of wing shooting that doesn't take anywhere near the financial resources. You need a shotgun, a hunting license, some shells. You don't need lots of decoys. You really don't need leases. Many air, many states have very, very good uh, public hunting areas. Illinois is certainly among them. Wisconsin, which has joined the game of dove hunting, the sport of dove hunting later, is still developing a lot of its public lands. But it's a, it's a sport that is joined, enjoyed by generations together and generally what is pretty nice weather. So I don't know what the weather will be next Friday when September 1st rolls around, but I do know that millions, several million people will be going out dove hunting in the, in the coming week, fortnight, to enjoy something that's been passed on for generations to generations. Dove populations appear to be very healthy. Also, uh, morning doves are arguably as good at eating bird as there is absolutely phenomenal table fare. So that is another reason that hunting morning doves is so popular. White-winged doves in Texas, obviously, is popular. They're a little larger than a morning dove. And then we have the Eurasian dove, which has invaded America from the south, first coming up from South America into Florida, and now is scattered across a lot of America. Eurasian doves actually are, there is no season on Eurasian doves. They're, they're a nuisance. And occasionally a raisin dove will fly in a sunflower or a wheat field or a cornfield with a flock of morning doves. It's a little bit larger, and I can tell you it's it's not quite the table fare of a morning dove. It is, definite, it is definitely larger than a morning dove, and it makes it a little bit tougher. But overall, we have abundant opportunities to hunt doves. We have many places to hunt doves, and we have generally very good dove populations. We haven't had that cold front across the northern prairies yet, moving into Illinois, which often can send the first group of birds winging their way south. That hasn't happened, so I think we we are likely in Illinois to experience a pretty good opening of the season, certainly in the northern part of the state. It appears nesting conditions really were quite good. We did not have the spring storms that we often have, which which can really hurt populations. As you may recall, we were in a very, very dry situation in Illinois prior to really the onset of the, of the range, which came in late June, early July, that dry, that dry breeding season for doves should ensure that, that the hatch was pretty, was pretty successful. As I mentioned before the break, I was going to talk briefly about the pebble mine and the success of the Wild Salmon Center. Last week, I mentioned that the Wild Salmon Center had been asked to stop working in Russia as they were, quote-unquote, an undesirable organization, deemed that way by the Russian government. Um, There's a huge success. And by the way, there is nothing undesirable about the Wild Salmon Center. They are a fantastic conservation group and maybe conservation group. And certainly their efforts in stopping the pebble mine uh, go to show if you're if you stay at something a long time, you can succeed. In 2001, there was an effort by the Northern Dynasty Corporation to uh, open up one of the largest copper mines in the world at the head of Bristol Bay. 20-odd years later, 20-plus years later, we have the ending of that saga with the Environmental Protection Agency saying, we're not going to do this anymore. The pebble mine uh, 
has a final determination January of 2023. The EPA announces protections for the Pebble Mine and 200,000 acres of the headwaters of Alaska's Nushigak and Quijiak Rivers, a great success for conservation, the largest area, I believe, on the continent for Bristol Bay for, for salmon. Uh, is now protected. The Pebble Mine would have been one of those mines that may have been great for industry, but really in a bad place. We can certainly have mining, but we just can't have it at the headwaters of one of the most prolific salmon breeding areas and estuaries in all in all the world. So congratulations to the Wild Salmon Center for at least stopping the Pebble Mine, and hopefully we can now move on to other areas in the in the world and in, in North America where we can have these kind of mines where they are not so environmentally significant. Thanks so much for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.